Hi, I'm Caitlin. And I'm Shelley. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Red Mom, Blue Mom podcast. We're two moms on different sides of the political aisle, discussing politics, current events, and social issues. We started this podcast because we want to encourage conversations on tough issues and show that you can have a respectful, productive dialogue even when you disagree. It's hard to believe, but you can actually still be friends with someone with whom you have very different political opinions. Please know that Shelley and I aren't experts on the various topics that we discuss, although we do our best to be informed and accurate. We also share our reference material on our website at redmombluemom.com. Also, we of course do not represent all moms or all conservatives or liberals. Our discussion each week simply represents our own opinions. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. Hi, it's Caitlin. Before we get started with today's topic, I wanted to share just a few updates with you. Uh, Number one, for any of our dear listeners who may have heard our first episode about toxic masculinity, you may have heard us talk about at the end that we were recording from uh, the uh, floor of Shelley's bedroom. And I'm pleased to announce that today we are actually in the satellite office of the world headquarters of the Red Mom Blue Mom podcast. And when I say satellite office, I actually mean my house. Um, so today we have moved offices. We are now in the bedroom of my 12-year-old son, uh, surrounded by an unmade bed, lots of piles of miscellaneous, likely dirty laundry, soccer pictures, all the things that a 12-year-old boy accumulates. So I just wanted to paint that picture for you, dear listeners. As always here at Red Mom, Blue Mom, we strive to uh, really be polished and professional, and I just wanted to make (laughs) sure you knew what was happening uh, behind the scenes. Uh, The second piece is, um, as always, you can follow us and find our podcasts on redmombluemom.com. You can also find all of the great resources and references that we talk about each show. Uh, You can stream our episodes from the redmombluemom.com site, but I'm excited to announce that you can also find us on some of the other podcast platforms, places like Spotify and Stitcher. You may be listening there right now. Um, We are continuing to work to expand our uh, availability on podcast platforms, and so hopefully we'll have some more announcements coming up in the next couple of weeks, Um, but hopefully you can find us wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And finally, please follow us on social media. We are on Instagram. It's super easy to find us if you just search for Red Mom, Blue Mom, And on Instagram, you will see uh, new announcements as we launch episodes, of course, but you will also get some sneak peeks as to upcoming topics that we're going to discuss. So we really appreciate your support of the show. Thank you for that. All right, with the housekeeping items out of the way, let's jump right in with our topic today. And we are going to start with the topic of immigration. Now, immigration is a hot topic right now because of the border security debate that's happening in Congress. And in fact, there was just some resolution to that debate today. Today we are recording. It is Friday, February 15th. Um, But many of our listeners will remember that there was a government shutdown that occurred in December and January as a result of part of that border security debate. Now today, February 15th, Congress and President Trump have approved a new funding bill that provides for some, but not all, of the border security funding that Trump wanted. I think everybody would probably agree that immigration issues and border security were a big campaign issue for Trump voters in 2016. Certainly for me personally, I really liked his promise that he was going to address immigration and that he was going to build the wall. And frankly, I've been a little bit disappointed that it didn't happen or at least start to happen sooner than now. 
Today we are focused on primarily illegal immigration, although we'll talk about both legal and illegal today. The reason I bring that up is that I don't think that there's much debate from anyone on either side of the political aisle around the importance and the value that legal immigrants bring to our country. And in fact, during the recent State of the Union address, President Trump said he wants to bring in legal immigrants in, quote, the largest numbers ever, which is a very Trumpian way of saying that even he supports legal immigration. Now, why are we talking about immigration? Obviously, it's in the news and it's been kind of at the top of the national conversation lately. Um, but for me, there's a couple things that really make it a key issue um, as I think about voting and as I think about uh, policy issues that I care about. Number one, I have a very simplistic view of illegal immigration. I think people who want to come to our country need to follow the law, full stop. To me, it is black and white from that perspective, and it ties into having a country that is built on principles of law and order and personal responsibility. The second element is my own experience. Having lived abroad in Europe recently with my family, um, it really increased my strong stance on this issue because of our own process of applying to live in that country legally, even if only temporarily. The process was really lengthy. There was a ton of paperwork. We could only go abroad if I could prove that I was gainfully employed. And our ability to access things, public services like schools and healthcare were completely dependent on us having legal status. The government of that country knew where I worked and where we lived the entire time we were there. And when we left to move back to the US, the local police came to our apartment to validate that we had in fact moved out. Now, of course, I acknowledge and recognize that living and moving to a small European country is obviously not completely analogous to the challenges faced in the US. We have a much larger population. We also have a much larger border. But our experience certainly reinforced for me in my belief that nations have a right and a responsibility to control their borders and keep their citizens safe. Two more things for me that really drive immigration to the top of my issues list. The fact that we regularly hear stories of US citizens being killed by illegal immigrants is frankly unacceptable to me. These are people who should not be in this country and often have a history of multiple deportations back to their home country. Victims like Kate Steinle, Molly Tibbetts, and most recently Officer Singh would still be alive today if our immigration system wasn't broken. And a big element of this is sanctuary city policy, which we can discuss a little bit later. And finally, I think that there is so much need to help our fellow Americans. Think about the veteran population, the homeless, disadvantaged kids. It is very frustrating to me that our limited resources are instead being used by people who choose to break the law and come here illegally. We should be taking care of Americans as our priority. So with that said, and as we kick off our discussion today, I'd like to start with a talking point that was very popular with Democratic leadership in recent months. This idea that a wall is somehow immoral. Shelley, what are your thoughts on that? Thanks, Caitlin. Uh, I want to address the morality issue. I think, uh, I think that's interesting and important that we do that. But first, I just want to kind of back up to some of um, the things you mentioned in your introduction in terms of data and facts, and I want to try to unpack some of that. Um, from a factual standpoint. First, um, I hear many conservatives say what you just said and what Trump said, um, that they're in favor of legal immigration but not illegal immig immigration. From a practical standpoint, this is a fallacy and I, I think it is misleading. Um, while once there was legal immigration uh, passing through Ellis Island where your and my ancestors immigrated, um, 
there's virtually no legal immigration now in the United States of the permanent type. Legal permanent, Im permanent immigration, um, in other words, getting a green card, exists only in a few instances. One, for example, where a, a non-citizen marries a citizen of the United States, and I don't know if anyone has an issue with that type of immigration. It also exists when a refugee proves their status as a refugee, which conservatives do have an issue with typically, and we'll discuss that in this episode. Um, and then um, there's limited business uh, immigration, but but getting a business visa in by no means uh, guarantees or um, usually leads to uh, a legal immigrant status. And then the other type of legal immigration that exists is called a diversity green card lottery. That's where we let in a quota of people that's different for you know different countries. Um, these people are randomly selected. Um, it's not based on anything um, meritorious, and that's sort of just like a lottery. Um, you can check the State Department's data on this, which is posted on redmombluemom.com. Last year, of 15 million applications, 50,000 of these um, lottery green cards were approved, including only a couple hundred from Central America and exactly zero from Mexico. Um, and, and I'll note that this is a program Trump is looking to cut altogether. Um, so if you were born in Mexico, for example, or elsewhere and couldn't win the visa lottery, there is no legal way for you to immigrate to the United States. So to say that legal immigration is okay, um, but not illegal, it creates a misperception. In my view, it makes people who are living in this country illegally seem like they had some other option to come here. They cannot legally immigrate. And I think it's more honest to just um, maybe oppose immigration altogether than to imply that there's a legal option. Yeah, Shelley, that's really interesting. I didn't actually know that, um, that there were such limited kind of legal paths to come into this country. Um, but, you know, as I was doing some research and prep for our conversation today, um, the way that you just phrased it uh, was uh, very interesting to me, the fact that you called it a fallacy. There's an interesting article, and we'll post this at redmombluemom.com, um, from National Review, which is well regarded as a conservative uh, kind of an opinion and analysis site. And there was an interesting article by a gentleman, Mark Krikorian. I think he is recognized as a, an immigration expert, at least on behalf of conservatives. And he has the same thought that you just mentioned, that there's this fallacy that legal immigration is good and illegal immigration is bad. And he says in this article, he says that's nonsense. He says whether the concerns is, is jobs, welfare, schools, or assimilation, legal and illegal aliens have similar impacts. And I hadn't thought about that. Um, and, and frankly, like you said, I think I've been maybe under the misunderstanding that, hey, there's a way you can come into this country legally, and these um, folks that have done it illegally had another choice. I guess I didn't realize that that was so limited to just the examples that you listed around marriage or green card lotteries, etc. Right, that's right. I think it's a common misconception on the right. Um, the other misconception that I, that I think you referred to in your introduction is this idea that Trump has really perpetuated about illegal immigration, and that is that there's a problem in our country uh, that needs to be solved, a big problem with illegal immigrants killing Americans. This is false. Um, he said it in his State of the Union, he said it in other speeches, and it, it always shocks me that President Trump is willing to cite what I think is a widely discredited number. He says, quote, thousands, end quote, of homicides are committed by illegal aliens. 
Um, nobody knows where he got the number thousands of murders, unless maybe he's including 9-11, which, as we know, was committed by Saudis. Um, he, he one time cited Steve King, who's a Republican from Iowa, who's somewhat widely denounced as a racist. And he cited, you know, thousands. And then later that number was discredited. He had no source for it whatsoever. There are not thousands of murders committed by illegal immigrants uh, each year. There's no data anywhere to suggest that. If you, if, you look, if you look for the data, you'll find what I found recently, that no one has actually collected the data on murders nationwide committed by illegal immigrants. Um, there is some data available out of Texas because they keep track um, of certain, certain aspects of this. But outside of that, the data doesn't exist. So if you try to piece it together from Texas or um, make some assumptions from, from some data, what you land on is actually a number that might be in the high dozens or low hundreds in terms of murders committed by illegal immigrants per year. And even that is somewhat guesswork. Um, of those murders, um, and Caitlin, you cited three good examples of terrible murders committed by um, illegal immigrants that President Trump has cited, including uh, Kate Steinle and Molly Tibbetts. Um, and I can see those are just terrible cases. Um, What's interesting is that there are very few, if any, more than that, of uh, stories like that. And there's certainly no data suggesting that there are thousands of such murders per year. Yeah, so I have also heard President Trump re reference this number of thousands of Americans being killed by illegal immigrants. And I haven't done the research, so I will take your word for it that that is a, a disputed, kind of unverified number. However, I really struggle with the point of view that says, well, hey, it's not thousands, it's only dozens or low hundreds. And I, I don't think that you are trying to diminish the, the terrible nature of when it does occur, as you said, like the Kate Steinle or the Molly Tibbetts case. I know that you personally think that those things are horrible, but I really struggle with diminishing any incident of, of violence, especially when someone dies, when an American dies at the hands of an illegal immigrant, because my position is if that person, if that illegal immigrant wasn't here, that person, the Kate Steinle, the Molly Tibbetts, the Officer Singh in California, the list goes on and on, those people would still be alive. And this is a great example where I think there is some uh, moral inconsistency, I would call it, on the part of the left. So, you know, let's let's assume that the number of Americans that have been killed by illegal immigrants is somewhere in the range of uh, the high dozens or, or low hundreds. It doesn't seem like when these things happen, Kate Steinle's, etc., there doesn't seem to be a, a ton of outrage on the part of the left generally. I think they acknowledge it's a tragedy, but it doesn't spur as much outrage, certainly, as it does on the right. But what's interesting to me is let's talk about school shootings. Now, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think you would probably agree that the number of victims of school shootings, which we both agree are terrible, again, that piece is not in dispute, but those numbers are probably similar. They're probably in the high dozens or the low hundreds. And I think you would agree, Shelley, that on the left generally, and perhaps even for you personally, gun control, school shootings, march for our lives. I mean, those issues are probably at the top of most Democrats or most liberals list of issues, right? right. But yet the absolute numbers are the same. You know, let's just assume that I'm in the ballpark of the number of, of kids that have been killed in a school shooting, which is terrible, and the number of Americans that have been killed by an illegal immigrant, which is terrible. 
those numbers are the same. And it's the same kind of issue that I had when we were talking about abortion in our last podcast. You know, the the estimate of late term abortions, the number of babies that are aborted uh, after I think 20 or 24 weeks was our was our rough timeline is around the range of 12,000 babies a year. Again, that's the same number that are killed by handguns every year. Not not babies killed by handguns, but murders committed by handguns. And yet again, there's so much outrage on the part of the left when it comes to issues like gun control. But yet late-term abortion, oh no, it never happens, it's only 1%. And so it feels like there's some moral inconsistency there and, and some selective outrage. And, and I think all of those things are terrible. But I, I just want to make sure, and again, I know that you're not doing this personally, but I, I take a lot of issue with, with any effort to try and diminish how terrible a crime is against an American committed by an illegal immigrant. I don't care if it's one murder a year or as President talks about, President Trump talks about thousands, any number is too many in my opinion. Yeah, Caitlin, I think you raise a really good um, consistent consistency issue with respect to these conversations um, about morality and about death and, 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 uh, and killing. So so yeah, no, while I don't want to diminish at all um, the case of Kate Steinle or Molly Tibbetts um, or others like them, um, uh, it's what it what's what I do take issue with is the right trying to use those couple examples for this larger, you know, picture um, in terms of vilifying, in my view, vilifying illegal immigrants, um, when in fact, convictions for, violent crimes per capita are tremendously lower for illegal aliens than Americans. Um, immigrants are statistically much less likely to commit crime. That is in the data. Um, and I feel like conservatives should know this anecdotally. I mean, Caitlin, do you feel scared of being murdered by, say, the cleaning staff at your office building or the dishwashers at our local restaurants? Um, probably not. And that's because there's no real threat. Um, it's been this, this idea of a threat has been invented by using those, those few examples, um, made by president Trump's Trump. I mean, statistically, again, according to the the data, immigrant communities are safer. Um, it would make more sense to be afraid of, um, you know, you bring up uh, mass shootings to be afraid of being shot by a white male Christian American with guns, because that's, who's committing the mass murders, um, not illegal immigrants. Yeah, and I, I, I want to be crystal clear that I am not trying to paint all immigrants, legal or illegal, with some broad brush that they are criminals and intending to do people harm. Of course not. And your example of are you scared of the, the cleaning lady in your office or a, a dishwasher at a restaurant? Of course not. I feel like that's kind of a, 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 a silly comparison. But what I am scared about are these people that are coming across the border um, illegally that are doing bad stuff, right? I mean, this guy that murdered Kate Steinle, he was deported, I think, five times, multiple charges on his record of possession of drugs and heroin and uh, possessions of firearms and volunt- I mean, the list goes on and on. And, and those people are out there, right? And so are they the majority? Of course not. I think the majority of these immigrants, we would both both agree, are coming here to create a better life for themselves and their families. But there is absolutely this element of people that are also coming across illegally 
that are not good people. And, um, you know, I know I know Trump has gotten a lot of flack. I think it was during the election when he kind of made that off the cuff remark about bad hombres. Right. And, right. you know, would I have said it that way? Of course not. There are a lot of things that Trump says that I wish he would not uh, not say. And that was one of them. But the 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 baseline of that is true. There are bad people coming across the border as part of this illegal immigration problem. Are they the majority? Absolutely not. But we need to, again, going back to protecting our borders, knowing who's coming into our country, the system is broken. And so when you've got a guy who comes in and, and murders Kate Steinle, who's been deported five times and has this terrible record of drugs and violence and crime, that's something's, something's not working there. Right, but uh, the reason I take issue with Trump uh, with that type of rhetoric from Trump is because it really gets people riled up and people believe it. When he says there's thousands of murders um, committed um, by illegal immigrants, his supporters believe that. And there are lots of people who now believe that number. Um, and when he says, you know, when he called Mexicans rapists and murderers, um, that's false. So it, it stokes these racist, racist tendencies um, in our country. And, and I think that's wrong to promote those ideas. I think he is racist. You and I disagree on that. Um, this is one example where I think Trump's uh, rhetoric has affected the view of millions of Americans and, and, and you know, wrongly citing data that doesn't exist um, is uh, really harms this larger, as you point out, you know, in my view, overwhelming majority when you have um, of, of innocent immigrants. Um, yeah. And, and of course, you know, Trump says things that I disagree with all the time and I, I'm not I'm not going to apologize for what he says I, I certainly wish he would say things differently sometimes I wish he would not say anything at all and so we can talk about the the you know question of is Trump a racist on a different podcast I think that's actually a really interesting t- topic to get into and, I, but and before we move on yeah. from it though remember he on the issue of immigration he called uh, African countries shitholes while asking why we can't admit more you know northern Europeans who are obviously mostly white he's tried to exclude muslims wholly from the united states and his he and his supporters when they talk about immigration they talk about this changing landscape of america america changing they're they're referencing demographic changes that um result in america being less white than it used to be all of those examples are you know in my view evidence that Trump is racist, but this this racist rhetoric um, as it applies to immigration is is harmful as a whole. And it's changing this debate in a way that's, you know, that's not accurate. Yeah. And I I, I guess I would take issue. And, and again, small sample size of, of myself and conservatives that I know. My my perspective is that let's put aside Trump's rhetoric for a little bit, because I think regardless of immigration or frankly many other policy issues, he does a great disservice to conservatives and Republicans uh, in how he kind of talks to certain issues. So I will agree that Trump often uh, says things and does things that um, as a as a man and kind of a, that are illustrative of his character, I absolutely don't like, and, and I voted for the guy. But I, I just wanted to address your, your comment about how some of that rhetoric is changing the conversation around the changing demographics and, and America becoming, quote unquote, less white. Um, f- for myself, I'm not, I'm not focused on the fact that America is becoming less white, less Caucasian. 
Um, I am focused on how do we think about immigrants assimilating into our into our culture with our language, making sure that um, we share a common language of English, you know, generally speaking across across the country. How do we bring people in to become part of our American family and, and embrace our culture um, while still maintaining some of their, their own traditions and cultures, of course, as well. But um, I, I think to me, when I talk with conservative friends and family, that's that's more the focus. It's not it's not about the fact that there are more brown skinned people in the U.S. Right. I've never heard a single person, again that I know, small sample size, talk about that. Um, it's it's more some of those other cultural yeah. society elements that I yeah. think are, and I wouldn't even know that they're concerning, but they're just things that we're thinking about and trying to be aware of. And I think uh, you're right about assimilation being important. Um, one of the one of the things that hinders that, though, is this sort of vilification, and, and, and immigrants feel it, and they often don't feel comfortable in, you know, certain settings because of this, you know, and now growing sort of uh, sort of feeling. Um, conservatives often have the misperception that um, illegal immigrants obtain public benefits. Um, illegal immigrants are not eligible for and do not receive, cannot receive federal public benefits like welfare, food stamps, Medicaid, um, uh, social security, disability. So that's a common myth. And all these things are in the news all the time. So I think it, it, um, it's, I think it's harmful. I think it makes, um, America not, not great to, (laughs) to have the sort of the rise of these issues. But I want to get back to your question, um, about morality, uh, and, and then, you know, you and I have both both have sort of proposals and ideas about immigration solutions. Mine is actually rather conservative, but since you asked the question of morality, um, I'm going to talk about that first. I'll answer it. Um, I'll, my, my answer to your question is I think it's immoral to trap someone in the place where they were born. Um, you and I, Caitlin, did nothing to be fortunate enough to um, have been born in the United States or um, be United States citizens um, from birth. Uh, it's very easy for us sitting here in our sort of comfortable lifestyles, um, looking out the window of the world, and, and, and this is similarly true in the European country that you referenced, um, for us to speak about immigration policy from our sort of comfortable chairs. Um, but I think if you and I were sitting right now in, um, you know, instead of working on our podcast, plotting our migration from uh, another place where we could have been born, maybe in Central Africa or the Middle East or somewhere where we're dodging bombs or disease or maybe our kids can't get an education or have clean water. Um, I know that you and I would be uh, would be plotting a migration and uh, and to give our kids a better life. And, and if you try to imagine us there, um, I think that you would find in that instance that it would be immoral for someone to suggest that we just need to stay put because that's where we were born. So that's why, that's this sort of radical idea that um, borders are immoral. That's where it comes from. Uh, having said that, I am not proposing we get rid of borders. Um, we live in a world where sovereign nations exist and um, we happen to live inside one of the most comfortable nations. <laughs> so I'm, I'm for borders. I'm for... Um, you know, protecting American sovereignty. Uh, I'm not, but, but, but from a moral standpoint, I think that's the, the right answer. Yeah, and I think um, the 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 way that you phrased it was very interesting. That people should not be trapped, um, in the place 
where they were born. And I 100% agree. I am uh, grateful and appreciative that I had the the great fortune to be born an American citizen. I wasn't born in the U.S., but my parents are both American and obviously a United States citizen. And I am very grateful for that. I've I've traveled around quite a min quite a few different places around the world, and um, every time I would come back from a place like India or um, seeing the slums outside of Sao Paulo in Brazil. Um, Every time when I would land at the Denver International Airport, I would think, my goodness, am I grateful to be an American because it really helps put things in perspective. So I, I have uh, a lot of empathy and compassion and sympathy for people that are living in parts of the world like India or Syria or Haiti or El Salvador, um, where they are desperate to leave that country and take themselves and the, their families to the U.S., to make a better life for themselves. I have a lot of compassion, but what I struggle with is that um, I think America is a generous country. I think Americans are generous people, but we can't take everyone in. And, and I know you're not, you're not uh, proposing open borders. I think there are some on the left that are starting to go down that path, uh, perhaps maybe on the, on the far left side of things. I don't know that that will ever become a, a mainstream uh, type of uh, view on either the left or the right. Um, but I, I feel like there's maybe an expectation within the global community somewhat that America is going to take care of everybody and that regardless if you're a refugee or you're an immigrant, that you, uh, you have a right to come to the U.S. and, and pursue that better life. And as much as I would love to say, sure, everybody come here, everybody, everybody participate in the, in the, in the amazing country that America is, uh, we just we just can't do it. And so I think there's the, the moral question of it, but then there's also the practical, practical pragmatic question. piece, right? Right. And uh, you're exactly right, which is why, you know, I think that's the answer to the moral question. But like I say, I'm not opposed to borders. My view of a solution um, is to, to that immigration you know, issue in America is quite simple. And this is at no additional cost to the taxpayer. Um, unfortunately, neither your party nor the Democratic Party support, support this, but here, here's the answer in my view. Um, the ICE administration, the ICE agency should fine employers. Fine, F-I-N-E. Fine, as in um, $20,000 per um, illegal immigrant that they uh, have hired. And I mean, devote all across the country, devote our existing ICE officers. We have plenty of resources to do this. It's already in place, doesn't cost anything extra. Instead of arresting illegal immigrants, vi um, you know, vilifying them, separating families, um, go ahead and consistently investigate and raid employers. Enforce our existing laws, um, you know, $20,000 per illegal immigrant you employ when you employ several. And as an, as an employer, you're responsible to collect the, to, to fill out an I-9 and physically verify um, an employee's identification. And if you have reason to know that they're illegal, uh, then you should have constructive knowledge of that. And, um, and, and thousands of businesses could be fined billions of dollars. And, and, and the end result would be employers would stop hiring illegal immigrants. There would be no more massive supply of jobs for illegal immigrants. People would stop coming. Jobs has always been the reason for immigration into the United States. Both parties desire to protect, you know, cheap labor for businesses. These are the reasons the United States has a higher number of immigrants than most places. If, if, 
if there were no jobs, people would not come. And, uh, you know, Trump said in order to get elected that he would expand the E-Verify system, which he hasn't. And now it's been revealed that his own companies employed many illegal immigrants um, and did so knowingly. So, you know, I think that's the answer. Um, and, and the reason I, you know, another reason I say that is because I think in some respects, the immigration that we have um, separates families, not not in the way that was in the news recently with Trump's family separation, but by um, bringing people, you know, one member of a family here, leaving the kids behind um, in Central America, Mexico, that immigrant is now sending all a lot of his earnings home um, or her earnings home. And then you have kids who have, you know, lost a parent during formative years. Um, none of that's good for families in my view. And, uh, and our immigration laws have hist historically been about keeping families together. So that's my proposed solution. Um, neither party supports it because uh, of the cheap labor element. And, um, and, uh, you know, I think that's, uh, that's a reasonable solution. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. I agree with both things you just said. I think holding employers accountable <clears throat> to make sure that they are hiring uh, employees legally that meet all of the different laws and, and requirements, um, you know, to, to be able to work in the United States legally. I agree. I think that's important. And I don't know if that's an ICE function to enforce that or what agency would enforce it. But, but I agree. I think to the extent that we can stop the availability of jobs, which I agree with you is what is the probably the primary driver of bringing people into this country, uh, certainly illegally, but probably legally in some ways as well. Um, I agree that that makes sense. And E-Verify, I had actually forgotten that that was a Trump campaign promise. So thank you for reminding me of that. And yes, it's really disappointing to, to, to know that, <clears throat> you know, we've got existing programs, existing laws that are designed to help with this issue that are not being enforced. So I, I agree with you from the employer perspective. The thing that I think has been, again, kind of top of the national conversation around border security these last couple of weeks and in the context of the government shutdown and the budget deal that was just signed today um, has been the actual physical wall. And we'll, for purposes of our conversation, let's call it a wall. I don't know if it's That's a fence. Fine. Who cares? I don't think there's a difference. So. And I think it's been interesting to see Democrats who you know, within the last five to 10 years, we're very vocally supportive of a wall that are now against it. And um, to me, it certainly feels like there is some political gamesmanship. Obviously, uh, Democratic leaders like Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, um, I, I think, are very cognizant of not wanting to be seen as agreeing with anything that Trump wants to do. Um, so that division and partisanship that's happening in our political landscape right now uh, I think is uh, to the detriment uh, of some of these national security issues um, that I think are quite urgent and important. But the concept of an immor a, a border wall or a physical barrier being immoral, uh, Nancy Pelosi has uh, said that a few times over recent months. Um, and of course, again, from a political conservative lens, I find that a little bit hypocritical. Uh, her own state of California has a, a fairly robust wall between their southern border and Mexico. And I have never heard Nancy Pelosi uh, advocate for removing that barrier, even though apparently she has found a religion and now thinks it's immoral. So my, my perspective is, and I'm, I'm not an expert, of course, on, on immigration solutions, 
But I think a combo of things is what we need. And I, I think Democrats have been very effective, as they often are, to their credit, around keeping the narrative these last couple of months focused on a wall. And your average American may think that, oh my gosh, Trump is focused on building a wall coast to coast across every one of those thousand miles. And I don't think that that's what's being proposed. I think what is being proposed is a very comprehensive program. So I think there are elements as we think about physical security, not only of the wall in certain parts of the country, uh, excuse me, along the border, but also increased use of technology and personnel at ports of entry, which are a, a big entry point for drugs and, and human trafficking, of course, um, and other, you know, advanced technologies. So, you know, Democrats have really focused the conversation on the wall and, and you know, the build the wall chance. I thought it was the that... conservatives who were doing that, especially Trump. <laughs> I think it's both. I think it's a little bit of both. But yeah. I think so. I think what's getting lost, I guess, my right. point is, is that it's not just the wall. And even the wall itself is not some contiguous wall, you know, coast to coast, ocean to ocean. Um, I think there are other elements of border security that have been lost in that conversation. And I, my personal view is I support that, that comprehensive physical border, plus the technology improvements, plus the border, border patrol staffing, all of those things need to kind of work in concert. Um, but I don't think any sort of wall is immoral. And I, th I certainly think it can be effective, as we've seen um, from data that shows that where there is a wall at the, at the southern border, you know, the, the number of attempted illegal crossings is significantly lower than in other spots. I think we agree on um, sort of the multifaceted approach, and, and apparently Congress does since they've passed, you know, some sort of compromise. Um, although I take issue with the national emergency. Um, I, I'm upset about that. I Historically, um, those powers have never been used for something like this. I think it's an attempt to get around the Constitution in terms of um, uh, funding, uh, issues of appropriation, as well as issues of immigration. Um, but the problems with the wall um, are a couple things that the Democrats haven't been talking about very much. Um, a little bit, Senator Bennett from Colorado, the, the idea um, that you, you need to um, use eminent domain, the taking of private land to, to build the wall in, in, for as many miles as, as, as he wants to build it. Um, now, I agree with you that the Democrats have been hypocrites on this issue because years ago they funded, you know, another border security bill that added fencing along the wall and um, they used imminent domain to do that. Um, and uh, that resulted in, I think it, we have it, we have posted on redmombluemom.com an article that talks about this, um, something like 360, uh, uh, eminent domain lawsuits that the government brought to take people's land to uh, to make this happen, and 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 most of those people were underpaid. Um, it wasn't a fair. It's it's often not a fair process. And uh, Trump Trump loves eminent domain. He used it in the real estate development business um, with municipalities to take land from others. Um, I don't think it's the right thing. Similar similarly from an environmental perspective. Um, there hasn't been a lot of discussion about the environmental impact of um, of a barrier. There are sp species who won't be able to then um, move and travel, and that often results in um, those species becoming extinct. Um, there's also uh, flooding issues and other environmental concerns. Um, so, you know, it's not 
it's not my favorite um, <laughs> solution. I, I pointed out my favorite solution, and that has to has to do with employers. Um, but I can I can agree with you that um, there's been some hypocrisy here on behalf of the Democrats, um, and on behalf of the Republicans in the sense that they won't enforce the existing laws against employers because they actually want to maintain the cheap labor. Yeah, I agree with that, and I so I think we're in agreement around some sort of physical barrier, regardless of what that looks like or where it is, and and again, not the experts there. Um, I think we're in agreement on this concept of of e-verify and enforcing existing. Uh, employment law and making sure that employers um, aren't hiring illegals because that will help stop the flow of those immigrants coming into our country. And then I think the third element of it that I think you and I are in agreement um, is visa overstays. This was something I didn't really know very much about before I started doing a little bit of research for this podcast. It doesn't I've heard some people talking about it, but it hasn't been kind of the main part of the conversation, at least over the last couple of months when this has been a hot topic. Uh, visa overstays are when people come to the country and they have been granted a, um, a legal legitimate visa to be in the United States for a certain period of time, primarily as a student or perhaps uh, as a work visa from coming from an employer. Um, but then they overstay. So their visa, their visa date expires and uh, that, that person just never leaves. They just stay. Um, my understanding is that out of the 11 or 12 uh, million-ish illegal immigrants that I think is a widely agreed upon number, about 40% of those are visa overstays. It's quite a large number. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm simplifying it, but that seems like some low-hanging fruit. What I mean by that is let's start there. Let's figure out who is in the country illegally by way of these visa overstays, figure out what we're going to do with those people. I don't know what the solution is, but certainly I would think we'd be able to identify them. And then how do you fix that going forward? How is there better management and control of visa overstays? Um, that, that seems to be something that should be at the top of the list. Again, Shelly, as you kind of alluded to, this idea of, um, you know, how do we use existing laws? How do we just right. make sure we're enforcing legislation that's already on the books without having these long drawn out political battles and negotiations and government shutdowns and posturing right. uh, visa overstays seems like a, a really good uh, way to, to start with that as well. Yeah, I agree. Again, I think the wall has been a distraction. There's more, more illegal immigrants are here because of visa overstays than crossing the border illegally. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it is student visas, as you point out. Um, Saudi and Chinese students are two large, larger violators in terms of overstaying exchange visas and, and in the visa waiver program, um, which is a select program for certain countries, students, um, United Kingdom and, and, and French students were the largest group of those who overstayed. Um, so yeah, most people don't realize this. Uh, what, do, what do these people have in common with people who cross the borders? besides being illegal well um, because there's no legal way to immigrant here immigrate here um, this is what they do and they do this because they know they can find work again uh, back to my employer's solution yeah I, I agree I think that the employer element is key the visa overstay piece uh, is important and I do think the uh, element of a physical border security and and that to me is all inclusive of a wall or a fence as well as ports of entry and all of the things that are uh, kind of associated with that physical security especially along the southern border I think all three of those components are really important one last data point that I was reading again in National Review which is a, a certainly a very conservative 
uh, website. Um, this was a, a data point that I didn't really know. And um, as you were talking, Shelley, earlier about and I know this is a concern on behalf of a lot of, of Democrats and liberals and, and certainly some on the right as well around the racist kind of undertones about some of the immigration debate and some of the rhetoric that President Trump has talked about. I thought this was really interesting. Um, this uh, this number, or excuse me, this article says that um, the uh, Mexican immigration has actually uh, declined. And um, this says that while about a quarter of the foreign-born population in the U.S. still hails from Mexico, Asian immigrants have outnumbered Hispanic immigrants every year since 2010. Now that doesn't mm. delineate between legal or illegal. Mm. And again, as we talked about earlier, perhaps that doesn't really matter anymore. Um, but I thought that was really interesting, right? In the yeah. context of the the racial discussion and, and vilifying uh, people from Mexico or Central America, exactly. um, you know, as you look at the data, it's in fact more people uh, of Asian descent. And I think typically that means places like China and, 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 you know, Hong Kong, et cetera, but also uh, Southeast Asia, places like India. Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know those numbers. And that's, uh, that is, uh, you know, more reason why I, I think that the debate is, you know, focused in the wrong areas and, and sometimes, uh, you know, vilifies people and um, especially Latin Americans. Um, I want to point out on that same topic, uh, some misperceptions about refugee and asylum law. Uh, I'm an attorney, not in the area of immigration, but I've done some pro bono immigration work. And and as a student attorney um, in law school, I worked on an asylum case where the woman was detained during the pendency of her asylum claim. Um, She had faced, her claim was based on having faced forced sterilization in China for having tried to have a second child in violation of the one child law there. Uh, She had to put together documentation, real documentation that would withstand scrutiny in court, um, substantiating uh, that there was a quote, imminent threat uh, that she would be sterilized. And um, I know because of my son's vocabulary test today that imminent means uh, going to happen soon. And you have to prove that as a refugee uh, who's applying for asylum. You have to prove that, for example, if you're saying that you're that you might suffer death or persecution because of your family's political position, you have to show real evidence, like the newspaper article from when they came to kill your brother, and then they came to kill your father, and then they said they'd come back for you. And uh, here's some other people in the neighborhood they did come back for. You have to show this kind of proof. This is not new. Um, this has always been the uh, during our lifetimes the law on uh, on asylum and refugee status in the United States. Um, and remember that asylum or refugee status is protected by international law because it's been widely determined internationally that you can't just let refugees die where they are. You can't refuse them entry. That is immoral, and it's against international law. So it's against U.S. law. Trump's idea of extreme vetting of refugees already existed before he ever said that. And again, it was designed to rile up his, his base and it caused the view that refugees are a problem when they are not. Um, refugees almost never miss their court date when you release them from detention. Um, there, are, uh, there are very few people who can prove this imminent threat to themselves in their home countries. And so, but of those people who are ultimately granted asylum in the United States, they can go on to become U.S. citizens from there legally. Um, and by the way, there's no data that um, refugees 
commit many violent crimes and, and on the contrary, they tend to be grateful to be here. They're some of our best citizens, innovators, neighbors. Yeah, and I, I know that, as you just mentioned, there was some discussion about refugees, <clears throat> perhaps during the campaign or or shortly after Trump took office, and, and that phrase that you mentioned about extreme vetting. I haven't heard a lot about refugees as part of the immigration discussion, I think, since then. Is your point just that you feel like sometimes the, that refugee population is lumped under this larger immigration kind yes. of it's category. Been, it has been in the news with the pictures of the caravans because oh, some of those, a lot of those people do apply for asylum. Um, a few might be granted it depending on their individual situation, but this fear of refugees flooding in, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in, in great numbers um, and kind of mixing that with the whole concept of these fears, this fear of illegal immigrants that, um, that Trump is stoking, I think is the wrong perspective. And it's really uh, caught a lot of ground during this administration. Yeah, and we'll probably run out of time right here to talk um, more about the asylum claims and legitimacy of that. I know that when that caravan was happening last fall around the midterm elections, October, November, um, there was quite a bit of discussion, and I don't remember the particulars now, about you know how the asylum claim works. Where do you have to claim asylum? What I mean by that is if you are coming towards the U.S. from Honduras or El Salvador and you go through Mexico first before you get to the U.S., that there's some international law around you have to claim asylum at the first country you come to. You can't just kind of pick and choose and claim asylum in the U.S., um, so, you know, I think we could talk about that probably in a different a different podcast. I'd be really interested to hear um, your experience there. But but it sounds like certainly based on the, the use case that you gave the example of, of the of the refugee from China, um, it sounds like there's a fairly heavy burden of proof to yeah. to have legitimacy as a refugee, which I, I wasn't aware of. I'm sure that's quite difficult for people to prove that um, imminent threat, as you mentioned. Um, so that's really interesting to hear. Well, I think, Shelley, as we wrap up, um, I think we're probably more in agreement on this one, uh, certainly than we were on abortion, which was our last uh, our last topic. Um, you know, just quickly to wrap up, I think we agree on the element of uh, immigration and the focus on how do we do a better job of ensuring employers are not hiring illegals through tools like E-Verify or other laws that may be on the books. I think we are in agreement that some element of physical security is important. Now, we may end up disagreeing on the particulars of what that is. Um, but that that's an important component of, of immigration and, and protecting our sovereignty and our borders. And then the third piece is the visa overstays, as we discussed. So I think there's quite a bit to agree on. It is, as always, very disappointing to see our political leaders, I think, on both sides. You would agree with me. Um, it is so partisan. There's so much gamesmanship. Um, you know, so much divisiveness happening right now. I guess I'm glad that we have an agreement that the government's not going to be shut down. I don't know that from a conservative perspective, Republicans are necessarily thrilled with what was agreed, um, but nothing's perfect. And yeah, I think we even agree on my point about, um, you know, vilifying immigrants and uh, and, and, and the, the racist aspect of some of this debate. And again, the politicians playing games on both sides. So I think there's a lot we agree on in this issue. 
Yeah, it's an interesting topic, lots of different elements to unpack. And uh, listeners, we would love to hear from you. Um, you know, of course, you can go on our website at redmondbluebound.com. You can ch- take a look at all of the different references and articles and sources of data that we've referenced during our conversation today. Uh, and please shoot us an email if you have comments or feedback on the podcast. We would love to hear from you. Again, um, please, uh, we would encourage you to follow us on social media, on Instagram, and of course, um, find us wherever you find your most favorite podcasts. Uh, just search for Red Mom, Blue Mom. Sometimes there's a space between the words. Sometimes they're not. You'll figure it out. We, we believe in you. Uh, but we appreciate you listening. Thank you for being here. And we will talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.